Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! And what are you thankful for today, Lawson? Oh, I'm thankful for so many things, but last night uh, it was my friend Chester's birthday. Chester's a, a friend from church, and so there was a few of us, we got together, we went to Charlestown and got dinner, and then afterwards we were like, oh, let's go and do something, and so went down and we were like, oh, we want sweets, you know, we want dessert. So we went down to Coles, bought some ice cream. And we're like, oh, it's going to be cute. We're going to go to the obelisk in Newcastle and eat it. And then we got there and it was like nine degrees. And, yeah, I was going to say. And, and windy. It was <laughs> What were you thinking? And so we got up there, put out Eating a pic- ice cream. picnic mat. A picnic mat. And we're all sitting there eating ice cream and shivering. And then we're like... You know, we got to warm up, and so we started doing like sit-ups and running around. And so, and honestly, it warmed us up. It was good. But then, as soon as we sat back down and kept eating ice cream, then it was like the wind chill factor was pretty gnarly. But no, it was really. Well, the good. one advantage of of all of this, of course, is that your ice cream was not under threat of melting. Oh, hundred percent, man! It was, dude. We only had like plastic spoons and cups. To, and trying to scoop it out of the of, of the punnet, it was so cold that yeah, it was, it was a bit of a mission. But anyways, yeah, so, I so, had a great so was night. this was this uh, plant based ice cream or did you compromise? Yeah. No, we had like we, there was multiple vegan people there. We had there one go. regular tub, one plant based tub. There you go. There we go. Well Lyle. done. Well Lyle. done. Yes. Oh, stop accusing the brethren. Stop, <laughs> stop trying to cause sedition, bro. What are you grateful for this morning? I am grateful for cuts and bruises this morning. <laughs> okay, spent, why? Spent the day in the bush yesterday, clearing, oh, a, clearing a bush track nice. uh, where one of our transmitters is located. And mm. it's amazing you get a wet year. The track just gets completely overgrown. Mm. Uh, this, of course, is a mountaintop transmitter. So lots of cuts and bruises from that. But all in all, it was a good time. Glad to have it back up. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What's happening in the world of... Positively different news this morning. Okay, so this first story I have is actually quite tragic, but with a really epic silver lining that I think really needs to be highlighted. So last week uh, in the northwestern Gansu province in China, a uh, hundred competitors gathered together to run a one hundred. No, it was, it was a little more than a hundred competitors. I think it was like one hundred and fifty competitors gathered together to run a one hundred kilometer cross country ultra marathon race. And you know they got together, or they're all there, and they're they're light sporting, you know, running gear. And when you have like cross country um, ultra marathons, there isn't like a defined path. That's like kind of one of the points. Is that not only the best runner, but you're like trying to find your own lines and they just kind of give you space and you got to get from one side to the other and people, you know, go and take different lines and do different things uh, that, you know, people go and study the course and look, oh, what's the best way to go and whatnot. And so, yeah. And so all these runners, they get together and they take off. Uh, but, you know, around 20, you know, when the leader was around 20, 30 kilometers into the race, they're all of a sudden hit with a freak ice storm. Oh, Temperatures plummeted to below freezing. Oh, and you're just like wearing shorts and singlets, no doubt. Yeah. And so, like, and, and, and they're running, and they're they're running, but they're in territory that they don't really know because, like, like they've only just studied it for the race. But this is like, you know, uh, this is like a, a ultra, like a cross country ultra marathon. You know, the track isn't just like lined with people. It's not yes. like they're doing yes. a triathlon in the middle of a city. They're like, no, they're out in the middle of the bush. They're in the middle of the bush, and all of a sudden, this 
freak ice storm comes. Now, there would be pretty tragic results from this. Unfortunately, 21 people would lose their life in the ice storm. But I want to highlight this story. There was a farmer. His name was Zoo Temming, uh, and he was is a shepherd. And he was shepherding his sheep in this area, you know, you know, getting his sheep and everything and, and, and leading them around. And, you know, the ice storm comes. And he see he he knows that he has this like cave off to the side of where, you know, his little area where he shepherds the sheep, where he keeps supplies for this very reason. He's like, yeah. oh, if anything happens, rain or whatever, I can go into my cave and, uh, you know, there's enough area in there to make a fire. I have food in there and whatnot. Yeah. So he heads to the cave and he, and he's, he's, you know, in his cave, like kind of just settling down after getting out of the storm. And he looks out and he sees a runner and he's like, what? And you got to imagine like this Chinese. So this, this person was way lost. Um, no, they, they were on the okay, track. So the track, the track actually went through the area where he was shepherding. Yeah, like relatively, like again, you know, there's lots of people taking lots of different lines and lots of different tracks uh-huh, in this uh-huh. area, and so yeah, his farm was part of where they were running through. And you got to imagine this guy, like he's like a, one of those like old school Chinese shepherds, like with the robes and the cloak, and he's got like the the hairdo where it's like shaved all around except for the back where he's got like a big long ponytail like that's oh, this, this guy like, okay, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. super old school guy and he looks out and sees like these runners wearing like shorts and t-shirts in an ice storm well one runner initially he's like man what's going on and so he runs out there braves the elements you know collects this runner takes them back to the cave and the runner explains to them like there's more people out there and so he gets out there and he's just in the midst of this storm, just braving the weather and one by one collects another six runners and ultimately saves their lives. He wow. then gets into the cave, you know, builds a fire, gives them food. And the runners, you know, release statements on their social medias and it's like saying things like, I want to say how grateful I am to the man who saved me. Without him, I would not be left here. Mm. I, I would not be here. So, yeah, it's just, you know, it's such a hectic thing. And I feel like this really portrays the reality of our world is that we live in a terribly tragic world where circumstances and events come along uh, that... Completely out of the blue, completely com- unexpected, just blindside you. Yeah, and and that has fatal potential. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, you know, there is grace and mercy there and people will be saved. And and I guess, you know, in, in a small way, this you could use this as an allegory for the end times. The reality of the end times, though, is that everyone does have a choice. Everyone, okay. It's unfortunate here that, and this is the tragedy of our world, that, you know, in our day-to-day, there are people who can get caught up in the circumstances of our world and, and, and lose their life and perish. But, you know, God is working on the heart of each individual person. And and so for, for, for these people, and I guess how are you apply this to the end of time is that everyone's going to have the chance to be saved. Yes. And though there are, there are many who will lose their life, uh, there are those who will choose Jesus and he will take them. He's doing everything that he can to save them. And it's Jesus who, just like this farmer here, who braved the conditions and got out there, it's Jesus who ultimately gave everything for these pe- uh, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, just like this guy risked his life for these people. So really hectic story. I was reading this. It was like bringing me to tears. I was like, oh, man. And, and, you know, we think and remember those who lost their life in this tragic race. Uh, but... It's good to see that there is some silver lining to come out of this, and I just pray and I hope that God is with the families of those who ultimately lost their life. You know, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a tragic story, but we praise God for mm. a farmer, a shepherd, and his preparedness. You mm. know, there's, there's there's a whole bunch of lessons you can learn. Uh, mm. You know, being prepared for the storm that is coming. Mm. 
You know, there is a storm coming and it's going to be unrelenting in its fury. And do we, are we making the spiritual preparation that we need to right now to mm. be prepared for what is actually coming? Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, as we see here, yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, like, the, the farmer here, he understood the conditions he was coming up against. Yes. And so he was prepared. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there is, yeah, a lesson in this in that for us. Like, we can be prepared. And what does that preparedness take? Well, it takes experience. It takes experience in the Word of God. It takes experience knowing Him, having a relationship with Him. Because whether the storm's there or not, like the farmer had already had the cave there just because of challenges like rain. Yes, that's right. You know, just just brief challenges, just easy challenges where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, well, I'll need to have a cave with supplies in it that's off the side of, of, of my work area. He thought ahead. He thought ahead, and it came ahead. in handy in the worst of conditions. Yes. And the reality is for us is that we haven't seen the conditions that are going to come upon us. No. Like they're unlike The Bible says, unlike any persecution that we have ever seen, anything that we have ever faced, uh, Yeah, and this is the same thing for this farmer. And this is what you find with the parable of the ten virgins. Mm. Those that survived were those that made preparation for the crisis that was coming. Mm. And that's where we need to be right now is making preparation for the crisis that is coming and we need to be building ourselves up in our relationship with God so that not only when that crisis comes are we able to survive that but that we are able to help others to survive that as well because you can't share with somebody something, somebody else something that you don't already have. Mm. Mm. You know, if, And if that farmer hadn't already made that preparation, he would have had nothing to share. Mm. He would have been out there, okay, he's wearing warmer clothes, he probably would have survived it, but he couldn't have helped anyone else because he didn't have enough to share. Mm. We need to be able to have enough to share. Mm. Amen. Powerful Yeah, a tragic stuff. story, but at the same time, uh, we praise God for what this individual was mm. able to do and the lessons that we yeah, can learn very from very poignant. There's a bunch of object lessons that are available for us right there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Give us a call right now. All right. Hold this one. It's annoying me very, very, very much. (laughs) Okay, so we Mm -hmm. were talking about research this morning and Mm -hmm. the fact that everybody seems Mm -hmm. to be doing doing, uh, surveys at the moment. Now, in Australia, two-thirds of Australian identify as being religious. Okay. And recently, Australia Talks National Survey took place. They surveyed 60,000 people. So that's a pretty decent survey. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big big pool. On how open they are to a relationship with somebody who is very religious. Mm. So this is a romantic relationship with somebody who is very religious. Mm. So this was kind of uh, asking how open are Australian young women to having a relationship with Lawson? Who is single <laughs> and also very religious, uh, very spiritual, and loves the Lord. Praise God! All right, so here comes your uh, here comes your stats, Lawson. This is this is not going this is not going to go well for you. Just warning you right now. Forty four percent of the Australian population are were like never. Good. I don't want him either. <laughs> They're probably lame. They're pro- <laughs> never. Twenty four percent said that they were slightly. Open, oh, okay. slightly open. That, that's to a chance. A romantic relationship with somebody who was very religious, and I don't actually see this as being a terrible thing because religion is one of those things that, when it's a part of your life, it is, it is your life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 
how do you have a successful relationship with somebody who is not religious? Mm. This is why the Bible says don't do that. The Bible says don't become unequally yoked. I think some of the other uh, programs have been talking about that recently Mm. uh, here on Faith FM. And so if the Bible says don't go there, don't do that, then this is this is basically Australians having a little bit of common sense. Yeah, wow. What is interesting is that in 2019, which wasn't that long ago, was that two years ago, people were more open-minded. Mm. And so what it demo- so so back then it was 39% was never and 16% was slightly. Okay. So that's a significant change in two years. That's a very, very significant hardening of people's minds towards religion. And so while I, I think this actually makes a lot of sense from a romantic perspective, it also demonstrates a hardening line against religion that is taking place in our country. Mm. At quite a dramatic pace. Well, this is at a very personal level. Like, yes. you know, this isn't government legislation or no, something. But these are, this is just essentially people who, yeah, it's a social division. That's right. Where it's, you know, people who aren't religious see people who are religious as something that they don't want to be a part yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. Romantically, at least. That's yeah. right. Mm. And, and, and as I say, on, on the basic level, it makes I, lots it of makes sense. perfect sense. Mm. And I agree with it. And I think this is, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is showing good results. But there is an underlying hardness that is developing in Australia mm. and there is a, a definite polarisation that is taking place mm-hmm. in relationship to religion. The two sides are definitely moving further and further away from each other. Okay, the good news for you, of course, uh, Lawson, is that uh, dating <laughs> is now global. So your pool of young ladies that you can go and uh, <laughs> find is now, it's you know, it's, it's big. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were sort of, you know, part of a... A, a small social network, you can now make that social network very big. And mm. even during COVID, love still finds a way. I've been spending some time with a young couple lately, that uh, one from here in Australia, one from uh, overseas, and uh, they found a way to get together. It wasn't easy, but that's they pretty, have now been able to travel and they that's are now epic. together. It is epic. Mm. Okay, so another survey right here. This is the Public Re- Religion Research Institute uh-huh. uh, did a survey on QAnon. Okay, what is that? I've heard that a bunch, but I actually don't know what it is. Okay, so QAnon has a lot of variations. Uh, it's in its far right aspect. It is very much a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. E- there are other aspects of it where it's kind of like, well, you know. Anyway, so basic three principles is that the world is run by a cabal of pedophile spiritualists who worship uh, Satan. Ah, yes. Yeah. Okay. And that there is a storm coming that is going to wipe wipe them all away, and make the world a better place. Uh huh. And that civil war may be necessary in the United States for that to happen. Okay. So some pretty radical stuff in there, man. That relates to like just a lot of things that we, in terms of conspiracy theories, you know, like if you've heard of like Pizzagate and all that stuff, it's like, oh, that's. That's all down that vein, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, all that stuff. Okay, what was the, what's the survey got to say, though? Okay, so the survey's quite interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. 15% um, of people in the United States believe that the world's power structures are run by pedophiles. 
That's a big number. That is a really big number. Okay, but let's put that in a little bit of perspective then. Okay, we now know, and we did not know this in the past, and you can kind of see why these uh, conspiracy theories can gain traction because I remember during the 1980s there was a major conspiracy theory that was sort of whispered around amongst, you know, us as teenagers that the Catholic Church was run by a network of pedophiles, and then we had a Royal Commission, you know, 30 years later and found out that that was actually true. in quite a number of circumstances. And it was, wasn't that the whole Catholic Church was doing that, but there were major pedophile rings that were operating in places mm. like Newcastle and... Um, well, all throughout Australia and, and all throughout the world, essentially. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you can kind of see why people come at this. The other thing that is interesting is that we, ne- we also now know that one in four girls and one in six boys are abused before they become adults. Mm. Which means that in any church, in uh, any you know, social group, whatever it might be, you're going to find both victims and perpetrators. Mm. We know from that that the only pedophiles that we ever catch are the dumb ones. Yeah, well. Because it's one of those issues that it is almost impossible to gain a conviction on. Mm. And so this is a horrific thing that is taking place in our world right now. So people who are in leadership positions are usually there because they're smart. Yeah. You start to put those stats together and it's like, well, you know what? It could be. Yeah. Now, are they organized as a, you know, a global ring where they just all trade with each other? Well, that's probably uh, taking it a little bit too far, but there's certainly going to be a large number of them yeah, pedophiles who are in positions of power. But to, well, that was that was the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, exactly. Like, which yeah. is kind of like you know, in terms of the people who are a part of it and the, that whole conspiracy, that's still left to be said. But in terms of Jeffrey Epstein himself and pedophilia, like we know that that's true now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and we like, know that he had lots of powerful friends, and we know that he used to have sex parties and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a bunch of things that we know. Yeah. And so, you know, you start, there's some, some, some dots and some lines are starting to be drawn that, yeah, it's like, oh, well, this seems pretty connected. That's insane. Yeah, so 20% believe that a storm is coming that will sweep them all away. Well, the Bible talks about the return of Jesus Christ. 15% believe that civil war may be necessary. That is terrifying. And the highest believers in all of these things except civil war are Hispanic Protestants. Ooh. Wow. So Interesting. Pretty full on. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. <laughs> Joining us on the phone this morning uh, is our resident historian, mm. Eliza Ma, uh, joining us for the last time as Eliza Ma. <laughs> Eliza, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lad. Great to be here. That was a bit cheeky. so uh you're not actually going to be joining us next month why is that well next month i am going to be changing my name um and before you get worried no i'm not going to be changing my name to elijah um no i'm going to be changing my last name um and i'm Next month, I'm going to be on my honeymoon. And, uh, um, what are you changing your last name to? <laughs> so, I'm marrying a young pastor, and his name is Harley Southwell. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there there you go. So, if you, 
if it all like comes it. together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> And the interesting so, thing is, no the, points for guessing who he's related to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, the interesting thing is that when you actually first started here as our resident historian, uh, mm-hmm. this was suggested to me that somebody, um, in fact, that was back when Liam was here, and producer Liam came in and was like, "Oh, you've got to get this girl on the show. Uh, she'd do a great job, and we need a resident historian. Mm-hmm. So why don't you contact Eliza mm-hmm. Ma? Here is her phone number." Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, that was at about the same time that there was. Was sort of yeah, yeah well there was there was movement at the station around that time but um <laughs> <laughs> that was before anything got on the road <laughs> uh, that's fantastic well we're super yeah. happy for you of course i'm super happy for you and for those of you who don't know harley is my southwell and so eliza is about to uh in the next few weeks become my daughter-in-law mm. which i'm super excited about but, Eliza, we probably should get on to the subject of what we're actually talking yeah. about this morning, which is <laughs> um, our Australian character. Okay, yeah, yeah. David, how do you pronounce that last name? Unipom. Okay, right, because I saw so, an A in there and I was like, ah. okay, let's talk about yeah, Unipom. Yeah. So, so actually, his, his, um, the name that he was born with was um, different. It was David um, Namatepom. Um, but he figured that white people couldn't pronounce that, so he changed his name to make it easier to pronounce David Unipom. Um, he was a, um, he was a Naringiri man. He was born on the Port, uh, Point Maclay mission in South Australia, just a couple of hours south of Adelaide. He was born in 1872. And, for anyone who knows anything about Australian history in the late 1800s, um, he was born in an era of protection, of protection of Aborigines. Sure. So his, he was born on a mission. His father actually was, um, both his parents were indigenous. His father was an evangelist. And his father was the congregational mission's first Aboriginal convert at Point Maclay. Um David Unipon was a non-smoker, he was a teetotaler, he took his religion very seriously. But what he's most known for today is the, his work as an inventor. And so he invented the electric clippers, basically. Um, in those days, Australia was built on the back of, of um, selling wool. But the clippers they had at the time were basically like just scissors, like garden clippers. And he invented electric clippers that um, could you could shear sheep ten times faster. And you can just imagine the impact economically that had on a young Australia. So these electric clippers, I mean, we obviously use electric clippers and so forth in shearing today. Um, mm-hmm. This was something that was in, this is actually an Australian invention because I was sort of, you know, so often mm. you think about, you know, something as, as simple as electric clippers and you think, well, you know, somebody in Europe or America or somewhere or other would have invented these. Right. But this was actually an Australian yeah. invention by invented mm-hmm. by an Indigenous man. That's right. That's right. In fact, he's been called the Da Vinci of Australia. Um, he was an incredibly intelligent man, but he lacked a lot of opportunity because he was Indigenous. And at that time in Adelaide, um, you know, throughout his life, he was denied accommodation. Um, when he traveled to speak, um, many hotels didn't accept indigenous people to stay. Um, you know, a situation that's 
you know, impossible for us to imagine today, or at least for someone my age to imagine. Um, he had trouble finding a job in trades in Adelaide when he was a young man um, because the trade unions were so strong and so much against coloured labour, as they called it in those days, that he just couldn't find a job in trades, in the trades that he'd been trained for. And so he got a job as a shop assistant. So a lot was stacked against him, and yet he had such a brilliant mind, and he was so creative in um, the opportunities he looked for that he found a way. And um, it's quite evident through his preaching, his sermons, the way that he... Um, there, you know, he used to say when he was denied a place to stay because of his race, um, he used to say to himself, in Christ Jesus, color and racial distinctions disappear. He used yeah. to comfort himself with those words. Mm, mm. So in many ways, he was a long, long way ahead of his time. And really, when you think about mm. the concepts that he was thinking about and sharing and encouraging himself with, the, mm. reason, the reason that he was ahead of his time that I see coming through there was his Christianity because he understood, you know, what Paul said, that right. um, there is no, you know, male nor female, no man nor woman, no, mm -hmm. no slave nor free, but we are all mm -hmm. one in Christ. Yeah. He didn't let the racism that he encountered in his day get to him. He didn't let it make him become resentful. Um, instead, he he clung on to Christ and realized that his identity was in Christ and he was a child of God. And if God was with him, who could be against him? Um, he had a very interesting approach to um, his indigenous spirituality, though. Um, he, he published a book on indigenous legends and he was actually the first indigenous author to be published. Um, and he believed that traditional Aboriginal spirituality and Christianity could be reconciled. They could both be true. Um, and how he did that was much like Paul in Acts 17, when Paul is at the Areopagus in Athens and, and talking about, well, how can I, how can I explain Yahweh to these people, these pagans who know nothing about God? And he decided, oh, well, you have this statue to an unknown God, let me tell you about him. He's the creator. And David Unipon took a similar approach that um, the creation stories of the dreaming could be reconciled to, uh, to the God of Scripture. And so in that way, just like his father before him had been an evangelist, David Unipon thought like an evangelist in the way that he tried to reach out to indigenous people with the gospel. Um, obviously, sorry, obviously that kind of approach is very risky, um, because you don't want to dilute the, the beauties of the gospel. But I reckon if Paul gave it a shot, there's no reason that, that we can't today as well. So with David Unipon, you mentioned that he had a trade. You mentioned that he was an inventor, mm -hmm. uh, and also a preacher, also an author. Which which mm -hmm. one of these which one of these uh, I guess um, vocations dominated in his life? Mm -hmm. Well, his bread and butter in his later life 
was that he was a travelling public speaker on the dreaming. Um, he was a travelling public speaker also on um, on politics, on Indigenous politics. Um, but he never had one one thing that occupied his mind. And we see this over and over with with real geniuses um, that while they might have a bread and butter profession, there are also other things on the side. And so he was also a journalist later in life. For many, for, for decades, he was a journalist with the um, Sydney Daily Te- Telegraph. And so he had these various vocations that he didn't stay in one career throughout his life. Um, anyone who's in a creative vocation, anyone who's an artist or a musician knows that a, cr- a creative vocation like inventing doesn't always pay very well, doesn't pay very consistently. David Unipon made 19 different patents for things like, um, like he made a patent for a helicopter. This is before World War One. He made a patent for a helicopter based on the boomerang. Um, and so he... He kept making these inventions. He kept making these patents. But to make a patent and to have it established and to have the finances to actually create um, the, the invention that you've designed takes a long time and a lot of investment and takes people getting behind you and supporting you. So yes, always that the couldn't be his bread and butter. Yeah, that's always the challenge with inventing, and you sort of you you wonder how many just amazing genius ideas that there are floating around that have mm. uh, just sort of been lost in in patents somewhere along the line. Did he have any trouble getting patents on his inventions as an indigenous person? Was there any impediment to that? Right. So he was he was never particularly wealthy. Um, actually, all of his patents were um, were temporary patents. So he never, I don't think even for his electric shears, I don't think that patent was, patent was fully registered because he couldn't afford to pay the registration fee, um, which is tragic, really, um, to have that design to get the credit nominally, but um, to not um, get the credit financially. Um, and so this was a, a real problem. Um even though, so in in this in this period of Australian history, in the protection era, um, the protectors of Aborigines were established um, so that the protector would learn the Aboriginal languages and they would watch over the rights of Aboriginal Australians and protect their property and protect them from acts of cruelty and injustice. But what actually happened? was that these protectors often controlled um, the travel rights of Indigenous people. They often controlled who they married. And sometimes even they controlled their finances. And so I'm not sure how much of an issue this was for David Unipon, but it certainly would have been something in the back of his mind that he knew that um, other people had their finances controlled. This was a common experience. Because he was so famous, it probably wasn't an issue for him. Mm. But this was a common issue for Indigenous people in this time. One of the things that I absolutely love about our Indigenous people here in Australia is their incredibly deep spirituality and their interest in spiritual things. Mm. It's an area Mm. in which I think a lot of 
uh, Australians just in general can can learn from. Did uh, David yeah. Unipon have a family of his own? He had one son. Um, his marriage wasn't... It was a very stormy marriage. Um, he married an Indigenous woman, um, Catherine Carter, and um, unfortunately... Yeah, he he didn't. He spent most of his life separated from her, um, and left behind one son. He um, obviously because of the tensions between him and his wife, he didn't. He wasn't a family man. He didn't invest in his son, and while that may have given him more time to work on his inventions, is that a, a price that you'd be willing to pay in hindsight? Mm. Not to me. No, indeed, and it just goes to show that, well, we all have our own brokenness and our own stories of uh, mm. of tragedy living in a world of sin and where mm. bad things happen. Eliza, thank mm. you so much for joining us this morning to talk about definitely a great Australian and uh, mm. talking about his faith and his journey and his life. Um, we're going to move on with the show right now. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.